1 to 11, and then we'll move over to verses 34 to 35. Again, as I've been saying, Monday Thursday uh, is, takes up the life of Christ at the time where he is with his disciples for the last time before he heads to the cross. And uh, we call this uh, section in John the Upper Room Discourse, if you're unfamiliar with that. But um, we'll read this section here and um, discuss it. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll preach on it. We're not going to have a discussion. Um, but this is where we begin uh, this week with, with Jesus. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Picking up in verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Amen. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time now, and as we look at your word, we pray that you would be with us. We pray that you would be our teacher, um, that you would show us more of who you are, and as a result, uh, more of who we are supposed to be, who you are calling us to be as your people. Be with us now, we pray. Amen. Today, we had a chance to visit the Washington, D.C. Zoo. If you've been there, um, we've got three kids on spring break, and it's time to do some fun things. So we went to the zoo, and we're big zoo people. We like the zoo wherever we've been and uh, wherever we've lived. Um, if, we find, if there is a zoo, we'll go. We'll check it out. And it's usually a pretty long day, and it's usually a day that uh, is pretty uh, tiring as well. And I sort of say that to add extra weight to the fact that when Ada was telling me we were going to the zoo, that, or on Thursday we were going to go to the zoo, um, we were also going to take two other little ones with us, to which I kind of said, huh? Um, 
we have four kids already, if you didn't know that. We have four kids under 12, and, and, and that's enough in my book. But apparently we're going to go pick up some more because if there's something the Moore family needs more of, it's more kids. So um, I was a little kind of, I didn't say no to this by, by you know, any means. Um, we're up for the challenge. And, um, and so when I found out who this was, um, Ada began to explain some things to me. And um, one of those things was this, this family had just had a baby. And so we were going to go and grab these two kids from this family so that they could have some rest for the afternoon. And as we're, she's telling me this, she kind of reminds me of, do you remember when, you know, of course, when we had kids, right, when, when, May, when we just had Virginia, and so-and-so came to the house and grabbed May and then Harden for the afternoon, and it meant a lot to me. Actually, just it's something I haven't forgotten, just to give those little times of rest by somebody coming and serving you in that way, uh, just without even asking. And, of course, I didn't remember this. <laughs> uh, I had no recollection of this, uh, but I'm going with it. And, um, and this is one of the reasons why I love my wife, is because she remembers things that I don't. But I think what we see, or what I was, what I was hearing through all of this, was that what's true for, for, for not just for Ada, not just for any of us, is that we often love the way that we have been loved. We, we often love as we have been loved. The way that we love others is often a reflection of the way that we have been loved in the past, uh, regardless of any inconvenience this might put on other people, like taking six kids to the zoo today. Much of how all of us, uh, our lives is shaped and influenced, you could say, is how others have treated us in our lives. As kids, we tend to mimic our experiences, especially how we love others. And chances are, if you came from a, a house or grew up in an environment that didn't show a lot of love, then uh, you probably find it hard to love beyond the ways that you've experienced it. And maybe have had to work really hard to learn new ways to love. And that's because the way that we love others is often a reflection of the way that we have been loved. So he said the word mandi here is, is from the Latin word for commandment, and it comes from the new commandment that Jesus gave his disciples, that you love how? As I have loved you. The way we will love as Jesus commands is not by just sort of figuring this out, is not by um, looking at it on paper, but it's actually by experiencing the way that he has first loved you. This is what he's telling his disciples. They've experienced it firsthand. And they're going to experience it more in the next 24 hours for sure. But it's how this will happen. And how has Jesus loved us? He's loved us, what, graciously and sacrificially. But here's the neat thing. When God loves us, and this is, getting more towards the point of tonight, he doesn't just do something nice for us, which can sometimes, that can, that, that can be the way that we think about loving somebody else. We do something nice for them. Jesus doesn't just do something nice for them. He actually, what, he brings them into his family and he gives them a place of belonging with them. 
When Jesus loves, he brings them into his family and he gives them belonging with him. This is true in some way with all acts of love, great or small, if you think about it. When the person who came to take May and Ann Harden after Virginia was born, right, they weren't just doing something nice for Ada. They were actually saying in some shape or form that you belong. There's be- you belong within this community, within these people. That where love exists, so does the promise of belonging. And my point here is that these two things go hand in hand. And that's what I want us to see this evening. That, that, that the love of God and belonging go hand in hand as we look at this text. Because the way that we will obey this commandment is first by reflecting on the way that Jesus has loved us first, which is graciously and sacrificially, which I've already said, but also in seeing what, how that love has brought us near to him. Without that, we cannot fulfill this commandment. That because we belong to Jesus, we can then love as he has loved. So let's see how Jesus loves us and how this love means we belong to him so that we can even consider his command to love one another as he has loved us this Thursday evening. It's important as we look at this text to get a feel for the tension and the awkwardness even that the disciples are experiencing in this upper room. And you might have noticed that with some of the dialogue. All of the tension that they are experiencing comes when Jesus, what, bends to wash their feet. And let us return to this upper room and consider a few things about this culture that will help us to do that and understand why this brought so much tension. First, the custom of foot washing. This was baseline hospitality when you came into anybody's house or when you came, uh, when you came to, to fellowship in any space. When you would have somebody over to your home, for example, it was custom upon entering that their feet would be washed in a very similar mode that's depicted here in John 13. Second, though, and perhaps more in view to this story, is who would be doing the washing because it wouldn't be the host who would wash your feet, right? This was the dirty job, and this job was left to the servant or slave of the household. Foot washing, then, is not just uh, the least desirable job in the house, but it is also the responsibility of the least of these in the house. So when Jesus in verse 4, when he gets up from the table and takes off his outer garment and he ties a towel around his waist and pours water into a basin and begins to wash the disciples' feet, the disciples are immediately put in a situation that they really don't know how to respond. You could say this is taboo for their day and age. Jesus is doing something that, one, Jews are not actually even allowed to do, but also this is their leader. This is their king. He shouldn't be washing their feet. Look with me at verse 6. As Jesus attempts to wash the disciples' feet, perhaps starting with Peter, right? Peter gets up and he says in verse 6, Lord, do you wash my feet? You shall never wash my feet. And we have a good time laughing with Peter as he says things that he shouldn't say. This is the first time that this has happened. We go back to Matthew 16. Jesus is telling his disciples, this is before he comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and he's telling his disciples, look, this is what must happen. I've got to go to Jerusalem. I've got to suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. I've got to be killed. And on the third day, though, I will be raised. 
And this just goes right over their heads. Peter looks at him and says, he begins to rebuke him and he says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. To which Jesus turns and looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. I don't know if anybody's had that said to them by the second member of the Trinity, but that's that's one uh, that I would never want to experience. But Peter is saying what any of us really would say here, if we're honest, Jesus, we will protect you as your disciples. That's what they're there for. Jesus, you're not about to do the work of a servant or a slave. You're our leader. You're, You're the king. At least not to me. And so one of the reasons we would say this, though, is because we don't fully understand the reason God had to come in the flesh to save us in the first place, and that's because we don't fully understand what the cost of what it will take for us to belong to God again. The cost as a result of our sin. Peter, in some ways, thinks God will command the powers that be to cease in whatever battle there might be. I'm sure he's familiar with Joshua, the book of Joshua, right? It won't be uh, much of one if God is on our side, going in to take out God's enemies. And so the kingdom will come with relative ease, many of the disciples thought, certainly Peter, perhaps. And so you can imagine, even in this this, this scene, they're, they're, going back to Matthew, what we read, right? What is all this nonsense about you suffering, about you being killed? Is, is this necessary? And the answer is yes. Yes. And we see this in Jesus' response to Peter in verse 8b. Peter, if I do not wash you, if I do not wash you, if I do not serve you in this way, And you could even say, if I don't love you first, you have no share with me. If I don't serve you first, you can't belong to me. This relationship will not work. And the only way that you can belong to me then is if you let me wash you is if you let me make you clean. Jesus is saying to Peter, and he's saying to us this evening, it is I who must serve you first. I must wash you or make you clean in order for you to belong to me. Which is really our heart's desire. That we would know that we are secure with God. And how will Jesus do this? Well, as we know, this foot washing ceremony is a parable of what Jesus will do for them in the next 24 hours. He won't just wash the mud off their feet, but their sin as well. He won't just clean them with water, but will purify them with his own blood. And it won't just be Jesus' garments that are removed. It will be what his glory as well as he goes to the cross and suffers humiliation, not just for his disciples, but for the world. In other words, he will love graciously and sacrificially by offering himself. And in so doing, by faith, Peter, the disciples, you, right, 
you might have share in Christ. You might belong to him. This is how love and belonging go hand in hand. He must do this first so that we might have a share in him. What does this have to do with this new commandment? That you love one another as I have loved you. Well, the only, only when we've experienced this love, right, and know that we belong to Christ, can we truly take up the command to love one another. And this is, in some ways, the point that he's making to his disciples. It's only when we know we belong to Christ. And see, he's about to go away. He's about to leave. He's about to be resurrected and ascend into heaven. And they're going to be scared and afraid, wondering what's about to happen. Where'd our leader go? Do we still belong to him? Is he still with us? And Jesus is trying to tell them, because of the way that I will love you, because of the way that I've washed you, that is what brings you to me. And nothing can separate that. This is what it has to do with that commandment. One of the things Jesus is trying to show his disciples is that they are already clean. This is that confusing verse there in verse 10 um, where he says to them, but you are already clean, talking about you may need to wash your feet, but if you've washed your body, everything else is fine. He's basically trying to say, look, you, you, you have faith in me. You're with me. We're talking about somebody else, talking about Judas at this point. But what he's trying to say to them is you have a share in me. You belong to me. You, you're loved. And if I don't get this point across to you, then, then the commandment is not going to work. In other words, out of the insecurity of not knowing if you belong to God, right, you cannot love as I have loved you, which is what graciously and sacrificially. And so some of the things that this means for the disciples and what I think it also means for us, and I, my wording is, is a little loose here, but the first thing I, that, I, that I want to leave us with is, is it truly frees us to give this command, as well as the disciples, to give this command a shot. For Jesus to look at any of us and say, I, I want you to love one another as I have loved you, we're level. We're level. There, there's, there's no meeting that, right? And he knows that. Right? The, the level of generosity and the, and the sacrificial love that he is d- demonstrating here and will in 24 hours, right? We're, we're, we can't match that. And that's not the point. What he's wanting his disciples to do is give it a shot. Try it. Because this is how the world will know that you're my disciples. You may not do it perfectly, but in it, you will reflect The ultimate love of God in Christ as you love one another, as you love generously and sacrificially, because you belong to me, you are free to give this a shot. And I would say the same thing to us this evening. Wherever we find ourselves, however daunting a task it looks like to to give ourselves generously and sacrificially to those closest to us, our families, our coworkers, our neighbors, or even our enemies, as Judas sits in the room. You're free to do this. You're free to give it a shot. Because you belong to Christ. Because he has washed you. 
it's not just, we're, it's not, it's not just that we're free to do this. I also want to say we're, we're, it's safe. And rarely do I ever want to use this word in the pulpit, but it's another way of saying we don't have to fear what will happen to us. Your sacrificial loving of other people is going to cost you something. You're going to get hurt. You're, you're probably going to hurt others as well. But it's going to get messy. And if we know anything about the disciples' lives, nothing comes easy after Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. We, most of us are aware of how the disciples' lives end. It seems that John got it the best by being sent to a remote island. Okay. But why would I say it's safe to do it? Because if you know you belong to Christ, what that means is, is you have everything you need. Nothing that is essential to you as a disciple of Christ can be taken from you. Which means you can go in love, generously and sacrificially. You can be hurt, but what's most important to you is not taken from you. The love you need the most to go and do that, the love that I need the most to go and do that, is, is, is never removed from you. You have it always. Why? Because you belong to Christ. You have a share in him. This is, what he, this, this is the whole, one of the whole points of this evening. Because of what he has done for you. As I said, it's one of Jesus' main messages to his disciples as he is about to leave them. And a whole other host of challenges are going to come their way. They're going to be scared. They're going to suffer. But what is Jesus saying to them? It's the same thing he's saying to us this evening. Don't worry. I will be with you always. You belong to me, and nothing changes that. Why? Because I've washed you. I've made you a part of me in my death and in my resurrection. Love and belonging, love and belonging, they go hand in hand. And it's worth us reflecting this evening, what does belonging mean to you? And I, and I bet if you just give it a, a little bit of time and reflection, you'll see that, that belonging means a lot. As a matter of fact, one of our, I think one of the most human desires is to belong somewhere. And if we don't belong somewhere, so, you know, perhaps like a, a rootless tumbleweed Floating around in the desert, right, our life pours out of insecurity and fear and doubt. And nothing anchors like the love of Christ, to which you belong because of his love. Paul will tell you this in Ephesians chapter 5. Listen to, these, listen to what he said. It's almost verbatim, verses 1 to 2. He says, therefore, this is to the church in Ephesus, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a, fragment, a, fr a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. How will we be imitators of God, according to Paul, as Christ loved us, just like this new commandment, and as beloved children? What is that? It's ones who belong because of the way Christ has loved us 
the same thing. Easter week, if it is nothing else for you, let it be an announcement that God always loves first, that he doesn't just do nice things for us. He actually comes to give himself for us that we might belong to him forever. And from that place, that rich place, that that abundant place, we have all that we need to follow our king's command to what? To love others as he has loved us. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, as we think about Jesus' disciples in this last day, this last evening with, with him, and we think about this commandment that he gives them, and we think about the tools and the resources that they would need to do this, would we be able to do something that perhaps maybe they weren't at first, and that is to see that all that we need is what's sitting and who is sitting in that room with them. And that the whole point of this table now that we are about to to come to, the whole point of of your death and resurrection is, is, is to restore us to yourselves, to make us clean, to satisfy the wrath of God because of his holiness. And to also do that as an act of justice that you might make good on your promises to be with your people as you said you would. And this is how you chose to do it. And you could have probably chosen to do it a number of different ways, but the way you chose to do it was to come in the flesh as us to suffer and to die on our behalf that we might be made clean. Would we never doubt And if we do, would we remember that that what that means is that we are loved and what that also means is that we belong to you. That that would be the bedrock of all of our serving and all of our attempts to go reflect Christ to the watching world around us. We pray that you would do this through through us, through your church, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.